0: Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 56 of Conquering Columbus. Uh, we got a really fun episode lined up for you guys today with uh, Kimmy Wernley of Crazy Richard's Peanut Butter here in Columbus, and you guys are going to learn a lot more about peanut butter than you ever thought possible, and we think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. But before we dive into that, I want to take a moment and remind you all, go ahead and look at whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. Click that subscribe button. It really helps us out. And it'll make sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. The last thing we want to do before we get this episode rolling is take a moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, They are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you.
1: Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, fast casual restaurants, you can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com.
0: Mike here again. And if you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus and have your message heard by conquerors across the city, please reach out to me at mike at And one last thing before we get this episode rolling, conquerors, we want to hear from you. There will be a quick survey in the show notes of today's episode. And if you guys could fill that out for us, we'd really appreciate it. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done.
1: Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? not just be status quo a desire to not be average this is
0: conquering columbus hey there conquerors and welcome to another episode of conquering columbus our guest on the show today is kimmy warnley of the crazy richards peanut butter company here in columbus and uh kimmy graduated from brigham young university in 2002 where she played lacrosse for two years after transferring there from Ohio State. And uh, she came back from BYU to Columbus to work at the family business, uh, Crazy Richard's Peanut Butter Company, where she is currently the owner and president. And welcome to Conquering Columbus, Kimmy.
2: Thank you so much, I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, we're really excited to have you on the show as well. So one of the first questions we always like to start off with is um, what's a typical day look like for you right now?
2: Typical day. Well, I am very fortunate to live close to where I work. Our headquarters are out in Plain City. We have a warehouse and office space, our headquarter office space. Mostly we have distribution, logistics, and then marketing. That's pretty much, it's not a manufacturing facility, even though we do have a large space. But we manufacture other places, and then we ship our product here to Ohio, and that's where we repalletize and then ship nationwide from there. So I get into the office and get going. I've got some great employees that I work with. A bunch of them are family members, since it is a family business, which adds a totally different dynamic to work, but also makes it really fun and exciting, I guess, at some times. We have a good time, Um, we spend the whole day pretty much working on our marketing, our advertising, and figuring out logistics, procurement for our products, making sure everything is where it's supposed to be. And right now, our big goal is we have two different companies two different brands we're merging them into one so majority of the day is spent making sure that that is a smooth transition I do um, drive around a lot looking at grocery stores stopping in everywhere I can taking pictures of shelves making things or making sure that our product looks good on the shelf and everything's where it's supposed to be it's at the right price that kind of thing Mm
1: -hmm. so we'll dive into that in a little bit more detail further on but maybe to start um, give our listeners a little bit of background on Um, maybe starting from college or even younger, kind of what it was like growing up around the family business and then why you decided to kind of go away and then come back to it?
2: Sure. My... um so my father was a banker, we lived overseas when I was a little kid and uh, he really had that American dream that a lot of entrepreneurs have and wanted to be his own boss and wanted to come back to America and my mom's from Cleveland and so when the opportunity presented itself my dad found out about a peanut butter company, a natural peanut butter company here in Columbus and purchased it. and used all of our family savings moved back overseas so i remember as a little girl i think i was somewhere around six or seven when that happened we came back here to america and spent all of our evenings weekends holidays hanging out in the peanut butter factory we actually did manufacture back then it was really small um it's stay it's actually survives today it's called the cream and nut company so that used to be our facility and then we sold that off but that was the facility that I really learned how a business runs. Even as a young kid, there's so much that you can absorb by watching your mom and dad work in that business and being involved in it. I learned how to answer phones, how to talk to customers, how to check someone out at the cash register, how to drive a forklift, how to move pallets around, just that kind of interesting dynamic. You're sweeping, cleaning up in the back, just kind of the behind the scenes of what goes into a business. So that's what I did as a kid, and I worked with my parents and our family business all through high school every day after high school. I even worked off and on when I was in college. And then, um, I did move away for a little while and I needed to kind of separate myself. And I think that was a great time for me to grow and to learn and explore. And then one day when um, my dad approached my husband and I and mentioned I think I'm, I might be getting close to retiring and I'm, I'm looking into selling the family business and something inside of me kind of screamed wait wait no that's our family business that that can't go away I need to I need to take it over I, I need to come back to Columbus so that's about four years ago my husband and I we have four children we moved back here to Columbus and took over the family business and um, well we kind of worked alongside with my dad and now I'm in charge and I love it it's it's exactly where I wanted to be. I love Columbus. I've always loved Columbus. It's such a great family place. We're so happy to be back.
1: So what were you doing before you moved back here?
2: Um, well, after college, we, um, after we graduated, my husband and I moved around a couple times for his job. He worked for a medical pharmaceutical sales company on the animal side. So he was a drug rep. He sold drugs, you know. We lived in Miami for a while. It was exciting. It was very fun. So we had a good time. I did actually, we were talking a little bit about lacrosse. I played lacrosse here in Ohio. And then when I came back, I was actually a a middle school coach here. And I was a ref, like an official. And um, I did that everywhere we went as well. was coaching, refing, very involved with lacrosse as well. I've always been kind of an athlete.
1: So then you guys came back here and you both jumped on board with the company and exactly. kind of helped your dad make his exit. Exactly. Kind of, can you talk a little bit about what that transition was like for you personally? I mean, the ups and downs and kind of what you had to get adjusted to to run a business compared to what you were doing before that?
2: Uh, yes, absolutely. I think I did not go to business for, or I did not go to school and study business, which I feel like I'm at a big disadvantage, but at the same time, I have been around business my whole life. I have been absorbing what's been going on through osmosis and by firsthand experience. So that is irreplaceable in a sense, but I am playing catch up. So I'm spending a lot of my extra time really studying and learning and surrounding myself with wonderful people that are smarter than me and have a lot of experience and can really help mentor and tutor me. And that has been invaluable as well. So I think that for me, knowing what a wonderful company my dad had started and or kind of had run and created all on the principles of honesty and integrity and that to me really was um, it was a weight on my shoulders I, I, I'm going to take this company on and I want to make sure that I hold this to a high standard and continue this legacy so that's something that has been difficult but yet challenging and I've loved it
0: yeah and so correct me if I'm wrong, but when your dad originally bought it, it was a bit of a turnaround story, right? Where the totally. company was not doing well Absolutely. when your family took it on. So Absolutely. So can you talk a little bit about kind of how you made those changes to how how your family made those changes to begin with and kind of how you built upon them as you have started to take over?
2: Uh, yes. Um, I do think that cream of peanut butter at the time was not doing well, and that is exactly why my dad decided to jump in and take over the business. And I think it just had been maybe – Um, mismanaged a little bit. It was a retail location mostly. And in order to really be successful, my father quickly realized that selling retail, you can only grow so much. And that's when he decided he really wanted to expand. And that was going into grocery stores. So having a larger distribution channel. And his first major Um, account that he landed was with Kroger that was his biggest account and got into a bunch of Kroger stores and realized that the facility that they had in downtown Columbus was way too small there was just one roaster one grinder he couldn't come even come close to fulfilling the order. We spent the whole weekend getting everything ready. The truck came Monday, picked up the order, shipped it off to Kroger. My dad got on a plane and went to Georgia, which is where the peanuts are from. Said, I gotta find somebody else to help us make this peanut butter because we can't do it here all by ourselves. And this is back when we had glass jars and the glass would explode sometimes. If it got too hot. I just think safety standards are very different now than they were. And um, my dad was really happy to kind of turn that part over to a manufacturing facility who did that full time. And that was their entire job. They knew the ins and outs of that really well so that was um, the first thing he needed to do was find what we call a co-packer so then now we've got a great co-packer and we still actually use one of those co-packers today that he landed initially and um, we've expanded to multiple locations to make our almond butters our cashew butters and then our creamy and crunchy peanut butters and then we have powders and an additional products now, that's something that I have really brought to the business was expanding beyond just a creamy and crunchy peanut butter, which is pretty what, pretty much what my father was selling and offering. And that's what has been standard and great and wonderful. It's been growing like crazy. I think that natural products in general have taken off, obviously. Mm-hmm the last 30 years. And my dad really jumped on board at a great time, found a great company with a wonderful product and a rich history. And we have built upon that. And now today with, with myself and my family, we're really making sure that we are kind of leading into the 21st century.
1: So can you talk a little bit about that co-packer aspect? What, what is that exactly? How does that work with your guys' business model in terms of um, I guess I just don't, I can't wrap my mind around it.
2: Okay, so peanuts are grown um, in fields. They're actually grown underground. What happens is we have, or there's lots of peanut farmers in the United States. We only source peanuts from the America. There are peanuts grown in other places like China and, and Argentina, and Mexico, and we ha- just stick with American farmers. Those are the ones we know, the ones that we trust. There are no GMO peanuts in America right now. Nothing's genetically modified, so we stick with American farmers. Um, The American farmers, they're usually in Georgia, some of the Carolinas, the northern part of Florida, a little bit of Alabama, that's mainly where, some Virginia actually. Um, They have farms all over the place, it's fantastic. And the farmers, once they harvest their peanuts, the peanuts are taken to um, what they call a buying point. It's like a large facility. Um, They go through the peanuts, they kind of they're in a shell, right? The peanuts are in a shell, they call it the hull. Um, you can't tell if the peanut is actually good because mm-hmm. there's all these different grades of peanuts and different times and seasons when you would harvest. If it, if you harvest too early, your peanuts are gonna be green, they're a little more raw, they don't have that rich flavor. If you harvest too late, then they're, um, they're overripe. So it's this balance of making sure you harvest the peanuts at the right time. So um, you go to the buying point, they go through handfuls of these enormous vats of peanuts, pull them apart, check them out, see what variation they are to see if they're the right kind of ripeness that we would want. And from that point, people bid on them, different um, shellers, and then the the peanuts are taken to a shelling facility. And these facilities are enormous facilities. They take out or they separate the peanuts from the debris that comes naturally from the field. There could be sticks rocks, roots, plant debris, anything else that could have gotten into the tractor from the ground. So now they kind of go on conveyor belts and they're shaken. The peanuts are kind of shaken. So then they naturally get separated through grates. Here go the peanuts one direction and the rock and the debris go another direction. And at the shelling facility, then after they separate those two, then they take The peanut, and um, once again, they kind of break it apart and shake it a lot more, and then the peanut comes out of the shell. Now, um, well, sometimes, depends if you're ready to roast them. (laughs) If you're ready to roast them, we're gonna, we gotta de shell them, and then we can roast them. If you're not, you keep them in the shell, and that way they maintain that, like protective barrier. Mm -hmm. They have the shell around the outside and then that little red skin that's around the actual peanut too. So two layers of protection. So then if they're kept in the shell, then they go to a humongous basically looks like a grain silo. It's just raw material, nothing's been processed or cooked yet, the peanuts are stored there under temperature controlled, humidity controlled, this amazing facility, and then they're ready to be shipped to a manufacturer, which is what I was calling a Mm co-packer, and that is a facility, the ones that we use are dedicated just for peanut butter, so there's no cross-contamination with a soy or a gluten product or another type of nut it's just peanuts and that's where the peanuts are then roasted to your specifications and then ground into peanut butter and then if you were another company you would add a sugar salt or stabilizer or something but since we don't add any of those ingredients our peanut butter is always run first because it's completely clean mm-hmm. it's just 100 percent peanuts so then we're run first ground ro- i mean roasted ground put into jars and then The labels get slapped on the jars, the Mm -hmm. jars get put into boxes, and then shipped here to Columbus. And then since we have a couple different manufacturing facilities that make creamy, crunchy almond cashew powders, then we take them here, put them onto different pallets, wrap them up together. We have trucks coming every day dropping off products. We have trucks coming every day picking up product. And then the product goes Mm -hmm. from here to different DCs, which are distribution centers, and then from there, they get shipped out to the different grocery stores.
1: Definitely. Wow, the life of a peanut. Yeah, the peanut, yeah, that
0: is, I mean, you know, the peanut takes a pretty uh, uh, incredible adventure compared to what I would have thought, you know, I would have just imagined, all right, you shell it, you boom, you smash it up, peanut butter, but uh, so, I guess, so let me, let me get this straight then, so the co-packer, I guess the difference between a co-packer and a manufacturer is that a co-packer manufacturers for another company, correct? Exactly.
2: I mean, they are a manufacturer. Right,
0: but they're but they're manufacturing the product for you, exactly. not for them. Not like exactly, exactly.
2: Well, they could do both.
0: Oh, they could do, so you could be a manufacturer and a co-packer.
2: It, most manufacturers, they will do that. It, I mean, it's a great way to make excess money. Mm-hmm. I know that there are companies here in Columbus that do the same thing. You buy or you spend so much money to buy expensive manufacturing equipment mm-hmm. when you're not using the equipment to make your own product mm-hmm. sitting there empty. You know, it's right. it's not making you money. So you might as well have it running 24 hours a day. This is not hard manual labor. You're not paying a person. If you're having your machine running, you can make money creating somebody else's product. So two
1: questions there. you talked about the shelling process? You said sometimes they're removed from the shell before they make it to the co-packer and sometimes they're just sent to the co-packer in the shell. Is that correct? Or are they always removed from the shell? Did I I hear that wrong? Um,
2: No, no, they, they usually stay in the shell until you're ready to take them to go get ground. Okay. So if they'll stay in the shell, if they're going to like that grain silo to hold them, but if they're, if you have an order and you're ready to take them right to the roaster and roast them, they'll take the shells off. Okay. They'll get shelled. Right.
1: So then my next question how do you differentiate yourself personally between a manufacturer that's co-packing for you and also creating their own product
2: how do we differentiate our product like the end result yeah so the end result, okay, our product is different from another co-packer or even somebody that might be using the same type of facility as us because of the grade of peanut that we use and the type, the variety of peanut. There's a lot of different varieties. You Maybe you've heard of like Virginia type of peanuts or jumbo peanuts and um, there's Spanish peanuts and we use a runner type of peanut. It has a really high oil content and peanut butter gets the flavor from the oil, so if you use. A peanut that is a drier naturally a drier peanut which is fine those are usually better like cocktail type peanuts or snacks or in your trail mix but um, to make a great peanut butter, in my opinion, then you want something with a high oil content. So the variety of peanut that we use, and also like I was talking about that calendar, when you harvest a peanut, you have to make sure that it's the right ripeness. And it's different than any other nut. A tree nut, are, those are almonds, cashews, walnuts. Those are actually grown on trees. You can look at them like an apple on a tree and see if it's ripe and it's ready to harvest. Since peanuts are literally grown under the ground in a a shell it's impossible to just guess or look at it and know when it is exactly the right time to harvest. So the University of Georgia has an amazing agriculture department. They work heavily, very closely with the peanut farmers to help them determine the exact timing that would be best for their crops. They'll bring in just little samples, they'll pull out just bushels from the ground and take it in to the University of Georgia, the ag campuses, and say, can you go through these peanuts? Let's check them out, let's put them on the calendar. They have like a floor mat calendar that you can put your peanuts on and look at the size and the shape and the color and determine if it's the right day to harvest i mean then the scientists will look at these peanuts and they'll say to the farmer farmer joe go get on your tractor and go harvest today your peanuts are perfect or they'll say uh you need to wait three more days and then you need to harvest. It's amazing the science that it really goes into figuring out exactly when to get that perfect peanut. But if you don't, I mean, if you're just harvesting a little too early or a little too late or there's a big thunderstorm coming and you harvest and then everything gets flooded, then now your peanuts are wet and you've got a problem because they could get moldy. So they're, they're really a very calculated process. And I just, I've been to Georgia many times. I've seen the way that they're doing this and I trust these farmers and the University of Georgia, the ag- agriculture department. They are doing a fantastic job. Peanut so, butter is
1: like yeah. the wine of the butter. <laughs> there
0: you go. The wine of the you butter. can coin that if you want. I'll I'm going to coin
1: it. it. I love okay. it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, my question is now that you're working with uh, not just peanuts, but almonds and cashews and all these other types of different nuts, how has um, that process and that uh, model, I guess, for peanut butter kind of transferred over well? And and are there areas that it didn't transfer over well?
2: So um, our peanut butter sales far outweigh the almond and cashew butter sales. And I think that it's because peanuts are a more widely accepted commodity, and they are very earth-friendly, first of all, and much cheaper to produce and much cheaper to purchase for the end consumer. So they've just been in circulation a lot longer. The gourmet nut butters are trendy, and they're up and coming, and I think they fit into different lifestyles, maybe like a paleo or Whole30 type of lifestyle, which is great and fun. Um, I love them, personally, but I think that the model is slightly different because, like I said, you can, you see the nuts growing on the trees. Mm -hmm. And so you have an easier time to make sure, making sure that harvesting process goes smoothly. So, I mean, almonds are actually very interesting. We get our almonds from California and they require a ton of water, Mm -hmm. like a gallon (laughs) of water per almond or something crazy like that. So if there is a drought in California, then almond prices are sky high Mm -hmm. and it's very expensive to purchase almonds, let alone manufacture them and then resell them. So for us, that one is, I mean, it's difficult to make money off of a gourmet product that costs so much to begin with, but I mean, none of our products actually have a markup that is very high at all. All of our products are very low, low cost. And that is something we've always Mm -hmm. done. Something we've kind of always believed in is providing a gourmet product, a high quality product at the lowest possible price.
0: And do you hold your retailers to that standard? So we try, right? I absolutely,
2: mean. absolutely. But that's a really good point. Retailers are a whole different ball game because once you get distributors involved, then everybody wants a piece of that pie. Everybody needs to take mm-hmm. their cut. Or I mean, in their defense, some retailers just do a great job of um, providing customer service. So if you are buying a jar of peanut butter, for instance, at Walmart, maybe you're not paying that much, it's a pretty low price, whereas you go to a Whole Foods, it's the exact same jar of peanut butter, but you're paying a lot more. But maybe the service you're receiving is far superior.
0: Until Amazon starts delivering it to your door now that they bought Whole Foods, but (laughs) that sounded like an exasperated sigh.
2: I am not sure about that. Probably
1: a good question though. Have you guys thought about you know an Amazon store setup? I can't stop thinking about
2: that. That's all I'm thinking about.
1: Have you guys begun to branch out like that? We well, uh, we
2: sell on Amazon already, and we sell on Whole Foods, so it's a win-win, right? We already sell both places. Yeah, (laughs) it's not bad.
0: So the other question I had about um, where we were going was. Um, We've talked a lot about peanut butter and the process to make it, but can we talk a little bit more about the process of of selling the peanut butter and how you've kind of learned about that as you've taken over as president and um, kind of uh, on the back end, I guess, what does the marketing and um, distribution side of things look like for you?
2: Okay. So your first question about how did I learn about Uh the selling process? Well, that was difficult because basically everything was in my father's head, he really wasn't using computers he just used paper and pencil so my husband and i sat down and said how are we going to learn everything that you know if it's all in your head so it was a lot of conversations and then firsthand meeting with the buyers and the brokers and figuring that out so what i started doing was really going to a lot of our trade shows and meeting with our um, our customers and the buyers the manufacturers distributors and talking to them introducing myself and figuring out exactly now what role do you play in this how am i working with you and just writing it out drawing it out using a whiteboard and mapping this person goes here. This person's here. Here is our distribution center up here. And just putting arrows everywhere so I could try to figure out exactly how everything fit into place. So kind of how I just explained to you a peanut from the ground to your table. Then I had to kind of figure out exactly once it's in that jar or gets here to Columbus, how does it go from point A to point B? And that's more the logistical side. Mm -hmm. And I have um, a cousin's husband who works for me and he's in charge of the logistical standpoint thank heavens he's wonderful and and he really is the brains behind that and I don't mess with that because that is his expertise and not mine but I do ask a lot of questions and I'm constantly saying now how is it going from one place to the next and we have trucking companies that are coming in all the time saying we can get you a better deal why don't you work with us so I'm constantly listening to those kind of conversations and we're Mm reevaluating exactly how we could cut costs because logistics for us is the most expensive piece of our entire operation it's shipping yeah. i mean uh, probably that's most people's most highest expense our product is heavy and it's and we mm-hmm. ship it across the country like i said so we do a lot of of shipping so we spend a lot of money on that
0: is most of your shipping full truckload or are you guys doing ltl
2: we all? do both but okay. i mean a full truckload is obviously ideal sorry yeah
0: I, was, yeah I worked a little bit in logistics and i just i was just wondering about that but um josh you got anything sorry i'm
1: so I think what's interesting, I consider myself a bit of a peanut butter kind of Nice. And not that I know anything hold about on, peanuts, on, hold like on, hold you on. said. Nice. I just <laughs>
0: explain what he means by a peanut like butter. It. No, we don't kind of need to get sort. into details. Whoa, 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 whoa. I eat we're an getting into details. Amount of peanut butter. He eats. I mean, we're talking peanut butter with his eggs in the morning. No. Peanut butter.
2: That's trendy. And, You're totally on point. And Way like, to
0: go. He, like he just eats yeah. bowls of peanut butter soup
1: no <laughs> For a dinner, i love like, it like with tons that's of fantastic it is regardless i peanut. eat a lot of peanut butter but you There's can get very disappointed when you go and you buy one and you mm-hmm. buy try a try new like brand and like mm-hmm. the texture's weird like like literally every brand of peanut butter i try i get a different flavor so that's why see? i'm so like intrigued by the whole process mm-hmm. and then on top of that it's like how much so we spent some time working at a produce company and like we watch the journey of like a tomato or a potato for Chipotle or Wendy's and you never realize the journey that it goes through yes. and i never thought that a peanut was in that same category so it's like everything that you're saying is like it's like an economics case study that mm-hmm. i would read about like all Well these imagine if situations. that peanut was
2: coming from China that's even even a longer yeah. trace or you know right. <laughs> trajectory that peanut has to go but you're right it absolutely it has a very long lifespan unfortunately peanuts live a lot longer than a tomato does so we have a year shelf life after manufacturing so once it's that peanut butter is bottled we still have another a year on the shelf for that peanut butter which is is great for us but still of course the least amount of wheels you can move the better it is for everybody in the end
1: yeah definitely that's awesome i know i know a lot of the times we would spend thousands of dollars throwing away product from a shelf life from a tomato or potato exactly. just because you can't get it you know distributed fast enough and things like that but one of the things that you talked about was you guys are merging brands right now can you talk a little bit about what the strategy was behind that and what that process is like for you guys
2: yeah so This is an interesting story, but my father kind of was running two brands at the same time, Crema Peanut Butter and Crazy Richard's Peanut Butter. And it wasn't that big of a deal until the internet came out and people started really, not just the internet, but people also wanted to know more about their food. Where does it come from? Where is it being manufactured? And we feel that we want to support authenticity and transparency so why not people want to understand that's great let's tell them well it was very confusing for us to try to kind of run these two brands at the same time before I came in we didn't really have any um, online sales or distribution or very much marketing at all and that led to a lot of confusion among consumers because they just couldn't quite figure out is this the parent company are you owned by somebody else no we're actually a small business but that that's confusing to a consumer if they they see a different name as the main corporation, they think you must be big time, a big Mm -hmm. corporation, which we weren't. So, um, and it was also hard, how do you really do um, social media or any kind of online marketing with two different brands? Now some people are successful, like Hellman's, Best Foods, West Coast, East Coast, they have a lot more money than we do, so that was a very difficult for us. The other thing that was tricky is I mentioned that we um, warehouse a lot of our product ourselves and ship out the inventory. Sometimes we have where we out use other warehouse facilities, and um, we're sitting on two sets of inventory, but it's the same product just with different labels. And that's just a first of all logistical nightmare, but also from a money standpoint, we just have to afford a lot more product um, for just to house an inventory so that made it difficult Um, so those were kind of two things that were confusing logistics inventory and then of course marketing and branding Um, we went through a lot of um, thought process we did some case studies we did um, a lot of surveys with our consumers and found out that Crazy Richards was the more favorable name. It was more marketable. It was more memorable. People could actually pronounce it. People couldn't necessarily say Crema or Crema or Crema or whatever. They would get a little hung up on that, or, and it wasn't exciting maybe or fresh or fun. Crazy Richards was more millennial-friendly, kind of moving into something in the new, fresh look, Who's um, crazy Richard? Oh my father's name is actually Richard which is funny so um, he we call him Richard 2.0 because he bought the company from Richard Marcus who initially started the company huh. and then um, went crazy and has passed on since then and my father's Richard 2.0 and now I'm Richard 3.0 there you go. Wait so, so
0: first Richard actually went crazy
2: yes. Oh. Yes. Well, he named the company after himself. Okay. So it's okay. He embraced yeah. it. He, he embraced, embraced it. can go crazy. crazy if you <laughs> embrace
1: it. That's there you mean. go.
2: There you go. Right. Exactly. He embraced <laughs> it. And his whole philosophy, he was actually a music teacher from Philadelphia and went to Canada, I think, for a little while. When he came back, he was really disappointed that so many of the foods on the shelf were full of all of these unnecessary ingredients. And one of the things that he was really disappointed is every time he picked up a new jar of peanut butter, it had a different consistency and a different flavor and he didn't like them. So he said, I need to get back to my roots. I want to make clean peanut butter and he started this clean peanut butter company and everyone thought he was crazy. Well, he was kind of going crazy and he did go crazy, but he called his company Crazy Richards. Then my dad was the other Richard in Columbus with Cream of Peanut Butter Company and he wanted to expand and he saw an opportunity because uh, Richard Marcus, Richard the first, was selling his company because of, of health reasons and my dad was able to meet together the two Richards and it was like you know fate destiny so then my father had both of these companies but then when I came in I said we're not doing this anymore it's too confusing we're losing money it's a headache and it's too like I said we want to be more transparent to the consumer and make it easier and more clear and now we have successful online marketing and successful social media because people are able to more identify with the overall brand name but I did mention that we are doing this huge merge this year and we're right in the middle of it right in the thick of it right now. Um Kroger, I had mentioned was one of the first major customers that Crema was sold in um years ago and now they have the end of Kroger or the end of Crema peanut butter is on their shelves right now with signs saying we're switching to our new name, Crazy Richards, the same company, same product. And of course, we still get the phone calls, oh, you've sold out to somebody else. No, we really haven't sold out. We haven't changed anything. The manufacturing's still the same. The recipe is still the same. It's just one ingredient. We use the same high quality peanuts that we always have and we don't add anything else to them.
1: So you talked a little bit about, uh, you guys are selling on Amazon now. What's that experience been like for you? I hear a lot of difficulties with differentiating your product on the platform and then just getting set up as a distributor, like a seller, business in general, I heard has been a horrible process for a lot of people. So what was that like for you guys? And do you guys see a lot of growth and the future of your sales going in that direction?
2: I think if you had asked me that before Amazon and Whole Foods had merged, I would have said, absolutely, we keep seeing growth. And I think that we still will, but I don't really know what that looks like right now. I think everyone in the food industry is kind of um, just kind of wondering, waiting on pins and needles, like what's going to happen? I I don't, I'm not really sure what that looks like, but um, we have seen steady growth on Amazon. And I do think it is difficult. Amazon has a lot of loopholes and bells and whistles and and just a lot of um, regulations and rules on how to do things especially with a food product they really do make sure that everything is safe and which they should they but they hold all vendors to a high standard of quality and safety which I appreciate but it's also difficult to make sure everything is done exactly as they want it to be because they're not checking every day to make sure that everything you have in stock is within the right Frame time frame before it expires, or that you have enough in stock at every one of their Amazon Prime locations. So that's something that we have to do on our part. And that's something that we had not been paying as much attention to in the past. And within the last few months, we really have had. Um, at least one person making sure that we're checking every single day. If you don't respond to a message within 24 hours, you get dinged as a vendor and then you drop a lot on mm-hmm. a search results. So you have to, I mean, Amazon has created this amazing platform, but they are very controlling and you spend a lot of time on there making sure that you're playing their game mm-hmm. so that you keep your product up at the forefront and doing well. And then you receive reviews that can help boost your algorithm algorithm and give you more views and that kind of a thing so it is a it is a game and um and we're we're happy to work on it because our sales have been great on amazon
0: yeah and you know it looks like it sounds like the amazon platform really um more so i guess benefits larger companies that have teams that could that could tackle that all day and only work on their
2: amazon absolutely um,
0: structure but the other thing i was that was interesting to me today that that occurred might be uh, something that you're thinking about currently is that uh, i was reading an article in the wall street journal that was talking about how walmart is putting pressures on its suppliers and distributors to not use amazon's cloud services and i'm not sure if you guys use cloud services at all but i mean down the road it could get to the point where um, these competing companies like walmart and amazon start telling you hey it's either us or them
2: i don't know i hope that's not the case because we do a lot of business with walmart Mm -hmm. and they've been a, a great vendor for us. So that would, I'd, I hope that it doesn't get to that point. I'm not saying that it won't, but I would hate to have to pick and choose right now. Right. We've been able to sell to anyone that is willing to carry our products and that's mm-hmm. been wonderful. Um, so I, am I'm, I'm not sure. Not I'm that, not sure about the legality of saying like, Hey, I don't, you can't I don't know. sell to Amazon. So
0: I don't know if there, yeah. if there's a duopoly or monopoly or, any trust law that prevents that, so all the all op- the Let's go to all the, the, go to the uh, business expert over I, here.
1: I, I have no idea. I would assume it sounds extremely illegal, but I would also assume that if they started competing against each other, they can, the business that's providing the product is going to win in the end because you guys are just going to compete with pricing, and then whoever gives you the better deal, so you guys would probably go with. But I guess um, were you using their fulfillment center? To...
2: We do, and okay. we fulfill on our own as well, Okay. because not everyone has a Prime membership on Amazon. So if you just order on Amazon without a Prime membership, it gets shipped from our facility. But if you are ordering Amazon Prime, then it comes from the Prime location distribution centers.
1: And did you guys notice any preference that you have on either of those ends? Do they both work pretty similar for you guys? Would you prefer to ship out of your facility for any reason in particular?
2: Um... No, we wouldn't prefer to ship out of our facility. Well, the only thing that we can do is we can track the packages that way a little bit better because we know exactly where they're going. Whereas if we ship to the fulfillment center and then they sell our product, I'm I'm I could be wrong, but I don't think we have everybody's exact like address, that kind of a thing. So what if I mean there was a problem? I mean there's always ways to go back in the back end of Amazon and they work. They help you make sure that everything is up to snuff. But um, from a cost standpoint, it doesn't, um, I I actually think we would probably prefer to sell to their distribution centers. It's just one shipment for us then. We ship a huge pallet of product to this distribution center, and then they're in charge of picking and choosing a jar here, a jar there, this product, this product, versus me having to have one of my employees do that at my office. Which, either way, it's fine. But my aunt does most of the fulfillment for us in our office. And she usually writes a handwritten note in each package, which is very time-consuming, but she feels very strongly that... You know, the way that a package is presented, people really appreciate that. So whether you're ordering from our website or you're ordering from Amazon without Prime shipping or a couple of the other um, e-commerce sites, that is getting shipped from our location. And you probably will get some extra stickers and a little handwritten note from my aunt, that mm-hmm. kind of a thing with, a, you know, a little thank you. as make it Maybe she puts some little pretty paper in there sometimes, make it a little more fun
1: yeah it's super cool i think a lot of people stray away from things like that these days because they don't think they can scale but there's such small things that word of mouth scales for you that people don't mm-hmm. really i think appreciate anymore so that's a really cool concept can you talk a little bit about speaking with, about your aunt what the process has been like working with family and the ups and downs and kind of um, i guess in general how it's been working for you guys
2: i think that working with family the biggest benefit is there. To At least for my family, I I really don't think that I could find somebody else that puts their whole heart and soul into working at our company like my family members have. And that's something that I really couldn't find somewhere else. Maybe maybe I could find somebody else. But as of this point, I I know that they are not leaving. I know that they are in it for the right reasons and that they are just – the whole family rallies around it. And when we have a, so we do do this one thing. We, we sell what we call them shippers. It's, it's a big box display with a bunch of our products in it. It will sit, uh, usually at the end of a grocery store aisle. So it's like a big, you know, special type of item. If something is new in the store, if they don't wanna put it on the shelf yet, they'll buy this big box of ours that has our label all over it with some signs and products like that. We buy that, it's a cardboard box. We buy it from a local company, a cardboard box. They ship it to us flat, and then we have to manually build the box together put the product inside, put the lid on it, wrap it up together, and then get it shipped out. So sometimes if we get a large order, like we just fulfilled an order for Shaw's Grocery Store in the Northeast, 200 of these shipper displays, that takes up our entire floor, our stage, our like, you know, stage floor in our warehouse, and um, we'll call in the rest of the family to come and help. And we know that they will, even if it's a weekend or an evening. It's, hey, we're going to order pizza, or we're going to buy everybody a drink and come in and help us package some um, shippers or boxes or whatever big order that we really need to get out. We know that we've got a bunch of family who have more family that will all come in and really be in our corner but the rest of our employees are also fantastic and I feel like everyone that works for us is part of our family and I think that that they have to know that kind of coming in that we're just gonna include them and we're gonna talk about family drama and they're gonna have to be involved in that and they have to get to know everybody and the everyone that we have is great with it and it works wonderfully and we end up spending our holidays together and our days off because we're all friends and family and um, it it works magically for us. I don't, I don't know if that would work at every situation. I, I do talk to a lot of other family owned businesses and that really does seem to be something that I hear a lot of that you you really have to make it a magical kind of relationship in order for it to be successful.
1: Yeah. I think it's something like from the stories you hear that could go wrong quick, but the way you just described it is something I never thought of because I think there's so many people who are looking for like a group or something to be a part of out there, especially in a career in a professional environment, and they don't find it a lot. And like with these startups and these, you know, you put the K-grader in the kitchen and things like that. They're trying to build things like that, but having an actual family that's inside of a company that just kind of welcomes you is authentic. And that sounds like a, a pretty unique situation. So that's pretty cool to hear. Um, I guess one of our kind of as we're wrapping things up, our final direction be here. What does the future look like for you guys after? The brands merge and what are your ultimate goals like in the next five to ten years where do you see your guys itself
2: well something that i have just recently launched we came out with the healthy kids happy future program it's a give back program we're going to dedicate 10 percent of our profits to different organizations that help support children's health and nutrition and it's something i feel very passionately about and i think that it's also a great way for us to connect with members of our community, not just here in Columbus because we are a national company, but outside of here, we've mostly just done organizations here in Columbus that we've really worked with hand in hand. And it's it's already been so beneficial to me personally, to all of our employees, to my children. I feel that we are really trying to help make a difference. And the reason that this all came about is we've been, I mean, I've been feeling very strongly like i wanted to do something to kind of give back to the community. And we have this product, it's peanut butter. It is, peanut butter is the number one most requested and most donated product in food banks across the, the entire country because it is shelf-stable. It is high in protein, high in fat, high in calories. And a lot of food banks, they're looking for protein. And protein's expensive. But peanut butter, usually they can get at a decent price and it will last longer than a chicken or meat that will spoil quickly um, or have to be refrigerated or frozen. Peanut butter is is a great food bank product and kids love peanut butter, let's be honest, right? So usually you can move peanut butter fairly quickly through a food bank. So here we are in this huge warehouse full of this product that is so healthy. I know that our product is, if not the cleanest, one of the cleanest on the market. And there are hungry children in our own town, backyard, all over in Columbus. I think it's one in four children in Columbus goes home with no dinner after elementary school. I mean, it's just astronomical numbers. It's terrible. And here we have this warehouse full of peanut butter that could be helping their families, helping those children. So it, it was just this It had to happen, it had to happen. So now we are working with the Mid-Ohio Food Bank and different organizations in Columbus, um, like Blessings in a Backpack, different things where they make lunches or they put together a sack sandwich or a weekend bag to put in elementary school kids' backpacks. When they go home, they can have some food for the evening or for the weekend or share with their family, that kind of a thing. And um, that has been fantastic, of course, like I said, for our employees, but um, That is where I see our company continuing to grow, is as we keep growing, we'll be able to help more and more in the community. And we'll be able to drive outside of Columbus. We've gone a little bit outside of Columbus to go to other organizations, but we want to continue that reach. And we want to be able to have employees that live in Michigan or Georgia or or ambassadors or other fans of ours that are hosting a um, -a walkathon or they're doing their own food drive and they want us to donate. And then we'll be able to help support Them and by using this wonderful product that we have. So, in five years, I want us to have organizations all over that we're helping to support and really help to combat childhood hunger, but also encourage the proper nutrition education in America. Because a lot of children are learning that peanuts could be scary or dangerous because their friend might have a peanut allergy. And I think that if we can help change that scary tactic and make sure that people understand that if as long as you don't have a peanut allergy peanuts are a fantastic source of clean protein plant protein and um, like i said it's a very environmentally friendly it has a very small carbon footprint as well so i think that um you know in five years if we can continue to grow this company so that our program can continue to grow it'll be like a symbiotic relationship
0: Definitely. I think that's a great place to wrap up there, Kimmy. Um, one of the last questions we do like to ask, though, uh, focuses around the theme of our show. It's called Live Uncomfortably. Um, right. <laughs> and uh, uh, to us it means a lot more than just pushing yourself outside your comfort zone daily. So uh, I guess the question here is what do you think of when you hear the phrase and how does it apply to your life and business both professionally and personally?
2: Perfect. I, I th- actually think that I kind of started to get into that when I'm talking about working with um children or families that really are in very uncomfortable situations all the time and for me I I mean I I live in Dublin I love Dublin Dublin's great but there are a lot of children even in Dublin that are hungry and you just don't even know and if you don't ever get outside of your own bubble and you're not looking around and paying attention, you might not find that. But if you are going out to the food bank or the soup kitchen or going down to Reeb Avenue and helping the children that are there that need um, to be educated, that need to be loved, that need to have someone to hand them a packet of peanut butter and smile and give them a hug and say, hey, you're going to have a great day. And I think that that is uncomfortable for a lot of people. But if we can help to support Organizations like Blessings in a Backpack and, and organizations like the Reeb Avenue Center and we can help provide opportunities to invite our friends and family to come with us and serve in those organizations, then that helps everybody kind of get out of their comfort zone and helps everybody kind of um, work together. People that mo- might not ever have normally crossed paths, let's cross them. Let's get together, let's build a better community, let's help each other, let's work on creating a better future for our children and ourselves for tomorrow.
0: Absolutely. Well, hey, Kimmy, thanks a lot for joining us on the show. We're going to wrap up right there. Is there anything last words you have to say for the uh, conquerors out there?
2: Keep on conquering. Columbus is great.
0: Yeah, we definitely agree. And uh, conquerors, hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Uh, That'll be the end of the show. We'll talk to you guys next week. If you like that episode, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, social media. We're all over the place, guys. Share it with your friends. Also want to ask you if you could do us a big favor. Check out that podcast app you're listening to us on and go ahead and click that subscribe button. Again, it really helps us out and it makes sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. Last thing we want to do before we let you go here is give one last shout out to all of our incredible sponsors. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you.
1: Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more check out a free trial at gofmx.com.
0: Mike here again. And if you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus and have your message heard by conquerors across the city. Please reach out to me at mike@conqueringcolumbus.com. At there will be a quick survey in the show notes of today's episode, and if you guys could fill that out for us, we'd really appreciate it. All right, folks, that's all we got. We'll talk to you next week. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the
1: job done.
2: To
1: not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.